welcome to the second season of the Yamcast, where we help young adults navigate this world and assist anyone in starting a young adult ministry. We do this by going through some books of the Bible that we are currently going through with our own young adult group. I am one of your hosts, Erica Haas. And I'm the other host, Chris Stukenberg. We love to guide this age group through life and their faith. And this season, we're actually going to cover the book of Ruth. Uh-huh. And we're super excited about it. So if you'd like to know more, check us out at Instagram at the EMCast or Facebook at EMCastPod. Or you can email us at EMCastPod at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends because we all know that sharing is caring. Subscribe, rate, and review on any of the podcast platforms. All right. So... Let's do Rue 3. I mean, it is called Rue 3. There's many reasons why <laughs> so. Rue 3 is funny. Three. <sighs> well, you can uh, listen to this episode. We'll listen to it too. Hopefully. And hopefully it works. All right. All right. So Rue 3, here we go. You ready? Is this working, James? <laughs> Are we still working? All right. Ruth 3, here we go. Here's the basic storyline. Now, in order to do the basic storyline this time, we thought we would go through uh, basically a brief review of what's happened so far. So some things to remember with Ruth. First off, this is occurring during the days of the judges. We just went through the book of Judges, which is why we are doing Ruth. It's connected. Okay. So (laughs) it's days of the judges. There's a family that goes down to Moab. And as they head down to Moab, uh, things do not go well on this trip. Why? This is like the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like the worst. But way worse than that. So both the sons die. Dad dies. Oh. And now the daughter-in-laws have a choice. Do we stick with mom or mother-in-law or do we bail? And so that's what Naomi says. Naomi, the mother-in-law, says, "Just you know what? Leave me alone. Why don't you guys just go your own way? And the one daughter-in-law is like, Peace! She leaves. She does. It seems rather quick, too. She's like, I made my mind up. Your son was kind of a jerk. I didn't like him anyway. He was frail and weak. His name was Sickly, (laughs) and that's what we did. He got sickly and died. Ruth, though, on the other hand, says, ooh, I'm going to stick with you, like the donkey in Shrek. I think that's a worthy connection. I think so, too. He does not leave his side. (laughs) So Ruth and Naomi go down to Naomi's hometown. At least we think that's Naomi's hometown, but it's Bethlehem. A town that we think should have meaning, but uh, there's no reason for it to have any meaning at this point in the Bible story. True. Right. Just a little town in, in Judah, little town of Bethlehem. <laughs> Cue the music. You all heard it. Dude, you all started in your head, didn't you? All kinds of Because I did. There's all kinds of great connections in this passage. So Judah was one of the sons of Jacob, uh, or his name also is Israel. So that's just the kind of connection here. And Judah had some kids. And then it didn't always work out with those kids. So he had some more kids in a situation that he shouldn't have had, mm-hmm. which we're going to get to in a little bit. But one of those kids leads to another kid who leads another kid. And, and that's Ruth's family now that she's married into Naomi's family. All right. So back to what we talked about in the beginning of Ruth. This is the barley harvest, which means it's for the poor people. Ruth goes out to the fields to work hard because they are having a rough time of it. Life is not good. And Ruth apparently is also a kind of a looker. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is what it seems. Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think people might go, well, there's nothing that tells us that in the text. Boaz knows his folks. He's a seemingly older, wealthy man based on what we see in the text. 
He knows all of his workers very well. He takes good care of them. He walks out in the field and the first thing he sees is this woman. He's like, hey, who's that working over there? You don't, Isn't that how we all do that too? Like, you typically that? don't ask that question unless you're kind of like, dang, hmm. who's that girl? Mm-hmm. By the way, there's another story in this family tradition where someone else is going to look out a window and say, man, who's that girl over there? And it's going to have similar overtones. But we'll get to that in just a second. So tons of forecasting, tons of stuff going on here. But anyway, Boaz notices Ruth, so he thinks she's a beautiful woman. But he also knows the story once he finds out who she is. And he's like, oh, she's a great woman. She's taking care of her mother-in-law. But man, what a what a rough life. And he keeps his hands off for various reasons. And we'll probably talk about that in just a second. Anyway, he takes care of Ruth with a whole bunch of barley seed. She goes home. Naomi says, oh. Boaz took care of you? He's one of our kinsmen redeemers, which means he's the guy that can actually fix the situation. Which leads us into chapter three. And this is where we go this episode. So Naomi says, you know what? Boaz is one of these guys that can help us out. I'm going to give you a task. I want you to clean yourself up a little bit. Put on some nice clothes. Put on some perfume. Get bathed up. I don't want you to get out there. And late at night, I want you to show up. After Boaz has had some drink, had some food, he's sleeping. I don't know if she said this, but she might have said, you know, by the time he's snoring, I want you to head over, check him out, see what's going on. So uh, she does just that. She does exactly what her mother-in-law asked her to do, which could potentially be very weird, which we're going to get to in just a second with the deeper dive. And Boaz takes notice for various reasons, which, again, we'll point out in the deeper dive. But regardless, he says, no, you know what? I am a kinsman redeemer, but there is one who's even closer than me. So I'm going to take care of that. So she leaves early in the morning. Boaz gets up. He goes to handle the the matter quickly. And Naomi says, you know what? I think Boaz is going to take care of this. So let's trust him to take care of details. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic storyline. All of it wrapped up in Ruth 3. It's a very brief part of the story, but it's a very significant part of the story because of what we're about to talk about. So are you ready, Erica? I think so. It is time for... The Deeper Dive. Okay. The Deeper Dive this week. (laughs) Uh, That pause is because if you have kids, first of all, if you're listening to this podcast with your children around, I love you. But some of the things we talk about, I would maybe question your judgment of letting your children (laughs) listen to it. There are times where my children listen to it. And my children are a little older and I say, hey, we should probably skip that part of the podcast. Now, it's not because we don't love talking to kids, but this podcast is directed more toward young adults, college students, that whole you know, era, you know age range. So if we're aiming it to that, we're going to talk on things that maybe we shouldn't always talk about with younger kids. And the deeper dive of the basic storyline for Rue 3 absolutely is not kid friendly. Yeah. So for this next little bit shoo your kids out of the room or go to another room and listen to this part. Just make sure your kids are properly supervised as you walk away. And with all of these details, I've now given you enough time to let people make their decisions. If you still haven't made a decision as to whether you're going to let your children listen to this or not, then uh, you need to push pause, go pray, and then come back, push unpause, and then make your decision as to what you're going to do. But here's the thing. I've now dragged this out as long as I possibly can. This is not kid-friendly. Is that clear? I think think we're clear, right? Mm -hmm. I like the kid alert. Mm -hmm. That wasn't exactly how you were doing it earlier, though. No. Why don't we do that one more time, the way you were doing it earlier? I don't know if I can. What I do? Kid alert. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like a cat (laughs) stuck outside trying to figure out how to get in the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the deeper dive for this story, you might be thinking, why is this so not kid friendly? It seemed pretty straightforward. There's a lot of reasons why the details given to us in Ruth 3 are not straightforward, but we have to dive a little bit. One might say deeper deeper (laughs) to find the details. So there's going to be four things that we're going to do that we're going to dive some data or mine some data. And I'm going to run through those really quickly. And then I'm going to go through four reasons why that data is is satisfactory. However, another way you could look at it. And at the end of that, we'll kind of talk it through. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going to head. So the first part of the the data mining is this. We need to remember that the story of Moab, and we've talked about this in Judges, and we kind of briefly talked about it in Ruth 1, Moab is not the best country because of how it started. Remember? Yeah. So Lot, Abraham's nephew, uh, has the whole situation with Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they run out to the cave, Lot's daughters decide, since the family line can't continue because our dad's freaking out about the end of the world as we know it, way before COVID, by the way. Yeah. Um, anyway, they decide to get him drunk and sleep with their father. And they both get pregnant. And the oldest daughter has a baby and names him Moab. The second daughter has a baby, names him Ben-Ami, which is becomes the people of the Ammonites. Okay? So Moab started with a little bit of a sketchy situation. So if you're reading this story and I get into the data that I'm about to dive into with you, you might go, oh, shoot, this is not good. That's So that's the first part of the data. Second part of the data is this. There are four women mentioned in Matthew 1. We have briefly mentioned this, but I want to talk a little more explicitly about it. Ruth is one of the four that are mentioned. The other three that are mentioned are Tamar, Bathsheba, and Rahab. And as I say those names, hopefully you're, you've been with us a little bit and you go, I don't think those are the best names to have in a genealogy, which you're absolutely right. And so let me point out a couple of things. First off, Tamar and Bathsheba both end up getting in the genealogy due to some type of seduction or some type of sexual situation that should not be happening. You might say scandalous, right? Tamar doesn't, she's not able to have a baby uh, with her husband because he dies. Second brother, he dies. The third one, they don't even marry him off because they're afraid of Tamar's reputation. So Tamar describes herself as a shrine prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law. Judah ends up having twins through Tamar. That's not a great story to start. Mm -mm. And that's the Judah family line. That's part of where this comes from. The second person in the in the genealogy that gets there from sexual issues is Bathsheba. And we all know the story about that. It's almost as if I mentioned it just a little bit ago in the podcast. Oh, and by the way, I did when I was talking about someone seeing somebody and saying, hey, she's beautiful. She should come on up here. So Boaz notices Ruth. There's kind of some kind of connection here that you should almost be reading like, oh, that might remind me of David looking at Bathsheba going, hey, who's that down there? Okay, so that's both of those women get in the genealogy due to some sexual situations that should not have happened. The third person in the genealogy, Rahab, that we're talking about here. Remember, there's four. So Tamar, Bathsheba, Rahab, and and Ruth. Rahab is a prostitute at the time that they find her. So she's in Jericho, but we don't have any record of her staying as a prostitute after she decides to follow Yahweh. Okay. So I'm not going to say that Rahab gets in because of some type of sexual situation, but she definitely has a sexual past that should cause us to go, oh. So if all of the women in Jesus' genealogy, Tamar, that's a bad sexual situation. Mm-hmm. Bathsheba, that's a bad sexual situation. Rahab comes from a bad sexual situation. One might assume then 
oh, maybe Ruth has some sexual juju that shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And that's a great sentence to say, by the way. Sexual, sexual juju. Sexual juju. So that's data part number two. Data part number three is the word uncovered feet could literally mean to uncover the feet. But one has to dive a little deeper in the etymology of the word and realize, oh, maybe there's a little more going on there. Typically in the Bible, when one is uncovering an unclean part of the body, such as the feet, there are multiple euphemisms that could be used to describe what's actually happening. So for example, at one point in the Bible, David is running from Saul. He finds Saul in a cave with David's garments around his ankles. That's, that's one way to translate that passage. And you might go, oh, he's covering his feet. Well, what does that mean? It means he's using the restroom in a number two sense. Mm. You know, so one might say, oh, well, that's a euphemism. Later on, uh, Elijah says something about Baal, the God. He says, oh, maybe he is busy. Maybe his feet are covered. Or maybe he is uh, involved in something he shouldn't be, meaning maybe his feet are uncovered. Which if your feet are uncovered, one one way to describe that would be since the unclean part of your body is is uncovered, then that means all parts of your body are uncovered. So that includes your genitalia and, mm. and other things. And actually in the worship of Baal, um, the belief was that since Baal was the fertility god, meaning he brought the, the, the rains for the crops, one of the a- aspects of Baal that's kind of unnerving is the ways that the rains would fall every year was that Baal would begin to sleep with his wife, Asherah, and she would run away from him before he had finished his business, and that the spray that came out of him was what caused the rain. Hmm. Very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. very, very weird. But when someone says to uncover one's feet, that's all connected to this. The other Bible passage that deals with uncovering the feet that's very weird is Moses is running away from God. His sons are not circumcised, so the angel of the Lord appears, is going to kill Moses off, and we're all like, what is going on? And overruns Moses' wife, Zipporah. She cuts off her son's foreskin and touches it to her husband's feet. And at first glance, we're like, that's weird. Why is she touching the foreskin to the feet? I'm going to get even weirder with you. If his feet are uncovered, she might have actually touched the foreskin to his actual genitalia. That's weird. And what she says is you are a, br- a bridegroom of blood. That's tough to say really fast. You're a bridegroom of blood. Meaning, I cut off this part of my son because you told me to do it and I didn't do it. Now I've taken care of business, but you're a bridegroom of blood. I can't believe you made me do this to my son. But the, the phrase that's used there is that she touches it to Moses' feet. And almost every scholar believes that when you, when you read touching to feet or uncovering feet, it really means to uncover the genitalia. So... Often in the Bible, when it says something about this, there's a euphemism behind it. So when it says that Ruth showed up to Boaz's side and uncovers his feet, which we're going to read in just a second, Mm -hmm. you might go, oh boy, that's kind of a weird situation. That should not be happening. So there's the third piece of data that we need to talk about. The fourth piece of data is that prostitutes, uh, especially during harvest time, especially during the barley harvest, wink, wink, uh, poor people looking for jobs, looking for money. Women would get all dressed up and they would put on fancy perfume and they would go out to the fields because their husbands, uh, sorry, all the women's husbands are out in the fields watching their, their harvest. They are sleeping next to a bunch of barley trying to protect what they have. And so the women would go out to them in the fields because the wives weren't around. They would offer sex. They would get paid and everybody would be happy. That was mm-hmm. kind of the idea. So when you're reading Ruth 3 and you see the storyline and you go, Naomi has this plan 
Ruth then goes through with it. Ruth gets cleaned up. She puts perfume on. She goes out. She meets up with, with Boaz in the middle of the night. She uncovers his feet. She lays at his feet. And Boaz is startled. You should be like, oh, okay, what's going on in this story? Something seems amiss. Yeah. So the four, the four data points that I just pointed out are like the thing that makes a lot of scholars believe that what Ruth does in the middle of the night is really scandalous. Those four major data points are kind of the big things that people mm-hmm. go. I think something kind of weird happened here. Okay. However, and here's the the kind of argument that I would give against those four data points. Number one, I know that Tamar and Bathsheba and Rahab are all kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. But there is nothing telling us that Ruth and Naomi are anything but upstanding women. Yeah. Up to this point, everyone who's talked to them has said, you are upstanding. You are phenomenal. You are great. You are all these. They wouldn't use those phrases if these women have a bit of a reputation. Yeah. It also wouldn't be said of them. Later on, if they were a little bit un, you know, unsavory people, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have had that reputation. So, so you're going okay. So maybe, maybe that's something. But that's only one of the data points, Chris, that you're touching on. There's a whole lot more going on. Number two, the the idea of washing and putting on perfume doesn't only mean a prostitution thing. It also could be that the end of your mourning period, meaning that you are in mourning for someone dying. Uh, tell me, Erica, really quickly, does Ruth have anyone in her family who has recently passed away? Um, Chris, she has a couple, actually. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Uh, she has lost her husband. She's lost her brother-in-law. And she's lost her father-in-law. This is going great. Mm-hmm. Okay, She's got a lot of mourning to Yeah, do. so she could be in a, in a period of mourning. And what Ruth might be being told by Naomi is not go be like a prostitute. What she might be saying is there's a chance that Boaz hasn't noticed you because you are still in your clothes of mourning mm-hmm. and you're still acting this way, go get washed up, put some perfume on, show him that you're ready to be out there. It's yeah. time to get going again. And she listens to that and she does that, which means she's done mourning, which why wouldn't she be done mourning? It's time, time to move on, time to get on with life and get going there. Number three, the third part of data that we need to discuss is this uncovered feet idea. I, I'm going to go with it. I do think that what it's talking about here is that Ruth actually pulls up Boaz's outfit and uncovers his genitalia. And we as a culture go, oh, I know what that means because we're weird and we are overly sexualized. Mm -hmm. But in an ancient world, uh, there's something that marks the Jews that doesn't mark every other people group in the entire world. Now, there's some other groups that practice circumcision. But one of the things that, that makes the Jews different is they are circumcised. There is no other way to know that one is circumcised besides that part of their body being uncovered. So you could almost make the case, and I think this is a, a fairly strong way of looking at the story, that uncovering one's feet doesn't necessarily mean a sexual thing. It just means I know who you are. I know who you belong to. You belong to the family of the circumcision, and I'm uncovering it to show you I know who you are, and I'm willing to join the family. Mm-hmm. Or in another way, because Ruth was already married to a Jew, she might be saying, I'm willing to stay in the family. I know what I'm getting into, so let's I'm do, basically in it. Let's do this thing. And let's keep going. Totally. So, so that's data point number three that we're kind of responding to. And data point number four is uh, she's laying at his feet, and Boaz is not put off by her. Now, some listening to this podcast are like, well, of course she's not because she's totally mm-hmm. going to town on him. And why wouldn't that be a great thing? But folks, Boaz is an upstanding individual. So everyone in this story that we've seen so far between Naomi, <laughs> Ruth, Boaz, all of them are just awesome individuals. I-, I like to think that a godly man, if he was awoken in the middle of the night by an individual who starts to do things sexually, 
he might be put off severely and say, you know what, this is not happening. I can't believe mm-hmm. this. But his response is not to put her aside. His response is to bless her. And he says, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to add to this point right here. He wouldn't need to take care of anything if something was already happening. Like you don't need to go marry a woman if you're already married to her in the middle of the night. Yeah. You follow me mm-hmm. with my line of thinking there. So let me just read the story really quickly again. And let me show you how all those data points kind of play out here a little bit. Uh, and so I'm just going to read part of Ruth 3, and then we'll we'll talk about it for just a few minutes. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to, to Ruth, My daughter, why should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, in which the woman, in whose young women you are working with? See, in the winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, I want you to wash, therefore, and I want you to anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And at this point, we're like, oh, that's not good. And when he lies down, observe the place where he goes, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she said, all that you tell me to do, I will do. So we should read the first five verses and go, if I know all those data points that we just walked through, holy cow, this story is dripping with sexual innuendo. There's a lot of stuff going on here, some euphemisms. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, just as you'd expect him to do. When she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down, at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. I don't think they would say laying at his feet if she was laying on his feet. Or laying, yeah. If you follow my (laughs) weird. He said, who are you? Because, of course, you want to know. By the way, the fact that the man was startled in the middle of the night, if his genitalia was suddenly out in the wind, hey, it's a bit of a, whoa, it's breezy. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, there's a woman there. He might have woken up and been like, oh, what did I do? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. If he had eaten and drunk. So he says, who are you? And she answers, I'm Ruth, your servant. I don't think he would say that if you're in the middle of doing something. But that's another discussion. Uh, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And some people might be like, what does that mean? Well, it just means that she's saying, I want you to take me under your wing. I want you to let me be a part of your family. So he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you've not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And I know some people are thinking, like, yeah, the last kindness is better than the first because that's what, but it doesn't necessarily need, need to mean that. Mm-hmm. And so now it is true that I am the redeemer, yet there's one nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning and he will redeem you. Good. if Let him do it. If he won't. Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And then she runs to Naomi and Naomi says, do the thing that he's asking and he'll take care of it right away because he's a good, upstanding man. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make the case in this story. If we're looking at all the data, I know some commentaries that you might find out there say, this is kind of a shady situation. I think that all of that data is there. Us thinking about Moab, us thinking about Ruth being a part of a genealogy that she shouldn't be in. I think about the uncovered feet, and I think about the fact that prostitutes would roam at the harvest. I hear all of that. I know all of that. But when I read this story and I watch how it played out, I'm going to look at the other four pieces of data, and I'm going to go, you know what? I don't think anything super weird is happening here. I think Ruth is upstanding. I think Boaz is upstanding. And I think the reason why they're going to rush to get married is not because they're after each other. It's because we're going to do the right thing here. We're going to follow the Lord, and we're going to honor him with our relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. So your thoughts? Yeah. So all through uh, growing up when I heard this story and I should, yeah, when I heard this story, I, I just always assumed covering, uncovering the feet was literally just like 
Boop, just got covered those little toesies. Like I. Well, and she did. I know. And other... but just the toesies, <laughs> not anything above that. So mm-hmm. I just that's what I always thought it was. And then I remember listening to a podcast where they brought in some of this that they were like, it actually could be far more sexual than we might than we might have known or thought. Um, but I think, I think also, yes, I think it's good to go through all of those things. But I don't want us to just throw everything that we already know away because we're we're such a culture that is very sexual and we watch the shows and we want it to be exciting and we want like the, oh, we thought they were good and now they're not, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of a thing. But somebody can just be good and continue to do good and not have the big slip up, you know? And so I think character is huge here. I think... This happens so often where somebody does something to us where we end up disregarding everything we know about them and we basically make this one thing that they've done to hurt us all of who they are. And that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And so we know that Ruth, Boaz, Naomi are all upstanding up until this point. So I don't see that as a show and just them being fake. I see that as who they really are. And so I would then see them behind closed doors doing the same thing, you know, yeah. and it not being this, oh, I'm going to put this front out. Cause I think that's maybe what it is sometimes for us too, is we've seen the front and then we see behind the scenes in people's lives. And we're like, that's not the same. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is what's happening here. And I also think that with the women that are, that are discussed in, in the genealogy in Matthew, I think, yes, they have shady past because even Ruth kind of has a shady past and and, and not in this instance but just in her past and so um, but I think it's more so to do with the fact that those women are foreigners and they're brought in rather than technically the shadiness of the things that they've done I think that also is there to show that God uses it all and it doesn't matter Um, I mean it matters but he still will use it but I think it is to show that God is not just for the Jews and the Hebrews. He's for mm-hmm. anybody that wants to come in. And so I think that's more so why the women are there uh, to show that he's for anybody who wants to come in. So I like to view it as you like to view it as well, where like, let's look at their character and bring that in. And let's not just automatically assume the worst of people. Right. I think that's well said and really well put together. And I think the part of that is, is, is this what I, like, this is kind of where I want to go with it. We could read the story and want to assume the worst, which is what most, a lot of scholars end up doing. Mm-hmm. The fact is, I think all of this imagery and all the euphemism exists in the story, and then it doesn't go the way you'd expect because they actually, the, the biblical author wants us to stop and go, oh, wow. Even though all of this is dripping with euphemism and possibility, it doesn't seem like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So I almost think it's partly there for us to go, that did not go the way I expected it to, and so what does that mean for me? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what we're supposed to do. So yeah, I think that's it. I think that's basically what's happened in Ruth 3. We've, you know, we've done the basic storyline and now the deeper dive. And I think at the end of that, we go, we're going to look at these people and say, they're all right. They are. You know, because even Boaz, like the last chapter was saying, don't work with those guys because I don't trust them. So then why in the world would he take advantage of her the next day? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So let's be careful. Let's read the whole story all by itself. Let's not, you know, let's try to read not so much into the text, but let's try to hold it all together and go, you know what? There's more going on here and we're good with it. 
So Erica, what do you think about let's get practical? Let's get practical, practical. All right. So the first piece that I would like to touch on is the idea of sometimes you got to move. So Naomi is actually actively doing something to further gaining a spouse to help her situation rather than just sitting with Naomi and praying and hoping and praying and hoping and like she actually is like I'm gonna do I mean it's Naomi that is very much I think helping her do that but actively doing something to make something then possibly happen. Whereas I think, especially in the Christian culture, it's a lot of like, I'm praying for my spouse and my husband, which is great. Do not get me wrong. That's fantastic. But if that's something that you do desire, you need to be putting yourself out there. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going on dating apps. Once again, nothing wrong with those things. Or if like that's taking a bath on a, roof, you like to do. on a roof naked. That's not the best idea. Yeah, especially since that's not our culture. Oh. But, yeah, oh, wow. I mean, you may attract somebody, just maybe the wrong somebody. Um, But that just means, like, getting out of your house, right? Like, that means getting involved in things that you're passionate about. That means doing something, not just praying, maybe going to work, and then sitting in your house and hoping that God will deliver them. I mean, maybe the UPS man, I don't know. But, like, that's quite a lot of hoping instead of getting, like, yeah, get around people so that they can, like Boaz did, notice you. Right. You know? You know, Lord, I keep praying for you to bring me a spouse. Oh, and I ordered from Amazon 10,000 times. So that's why me and the UPS driver got together. (laughs) Thanks. Probably a different way to look at life. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You, You know, and I think part of it, too, is you want to find people that are matching up with where you're trying to go. How mm-hmm. else do you figure that out without actually spending time with them? And how else do you spend time with someone besides going out? Yeah. Pull from a friend group. Go spend time with them and realize, oh, wow, we are connecting. We totally are on the same trajectory with what we want to do for Jesus. That's a way better way to live life than, you know, just kind of doing our own thing. I mean, yeah, when you want a job, you don't just sit there praying and hoping for one. You actually, like, put out some applications, let people know what you're looking for, like that sort of a thing, rather than just sitting and being a hermit. That's not going to There's a ton of stories that we could come up with that describe what it looks like to act like nothing's happening for you, but you haven't done anything. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have a job. Have you applied? No, but... Yeah. But like, I still don't have a job. It's like a, there's an old preacher story of a guy that's floating in the water by an island. You know, he got in a shipwreck and he's, you know, not close enough to the island to get there. So he's out there and he's just like, Lord, bring me some help. And all of a sudden a cruise ship comes by and the cruise ship's like, uh, you know, ahoy. That's what they say. And uh, the guy goes, yeah. And they're like, do you need help? Yeah. Great. Well, we'll send you a life, you know, life raft and get you on board. And he's like, no, I'm going to wait for God to do it. It's all good. It's like, it's like this thing where mm-hmm. we don't notice the circumstances right in front of us. And we just expect God to do something that it's not really how it works. Yeah. When it doesn't happen, how we think it's going to happen. You can't find a spouse if yeah. you ever meet anyone. Yeah. Very true. So that's the first one. Sometimes you got to move and do something. Uh, the next one is, so one thing that I don't, I mean, you probably did when you were reading it, but Boaz, when he, when he talks to Ruth, he's like, thank you for not going for a young, rich or poor man. And I'm just like, oh, Boaz, that's like a place I'm guessing of vulnerability for him yeah. and him being like, 
This was really hard for me. Oh, thank you, young lady, for not picking somebody young. Do you think he's that old? Yeah, I'm so <laughs> old. But I just was like, wow, I can like relate with that. Um, where I was just like, man, that's so great that he's, yeah, vulnerable enough to be like, thank you for choosing me, even though I'm older. I appreciate I'm not a spring chicken. Is that what they say? I appreciate you for not going out to my <laughs> grandson. So I don't know if there's anybody else that relates to that, but I definitely <laughs> did. Uh, so the next, the last one was, it kind of goes a little bit against what I talked about for the first one, but I really think it just follows the first one. Once you've moved, sometimes you need to, as Naomi says, wait until you learn how the matter turns out. And I just love that because we get in our heads and we start going down all the different paths we think that it could go, or we just are out there way too much almost. And sometimes it's like, just do a little and then see what ends up coming of it and then do a little bit more if you need to and see what comes of it. And and this isn't always talking about a spouse either. This is just in life when you're kind of wondering what to do, like do something and then wait and see how it how it pans out. I found this one verse to be extremely helpful when I got back from Haiti a few years ago. I worked there for the summer and I had actually quit my job before that. And when I got home, I kind of expected everything to just fall into my lap and it did not. And so I went, I did a Ruth study and this verse of just like, Hmm. you did what you felt like you needed to do. Now you need to wait and see how it turns out. And so Mm -hmm. that for me was just, I moved and now I just need to wait. And so I, um, I really resonated with that. And just, yeah, in life, sometimes you need to just stop the mind, stop going down all the trails that you think it might pan out to, and just let it be. You mm-hmm. did what you're supposed to do, and now just kind of let it be. That's really what proverbial wisdom is. The idea that a proverb is not something that's true all the time. But if you're not doing anything right now, get out there and do something. Mm-hmm. That's the first part of the proverbial wisdom. The second part of the proverbial wisdom is, and then wait to see how things play out. You can't you can't just do things your way and expect everything to just go awesome. So what do we do in a lot of times in our culture is we we go on a date or we meet up with a, you know, imagine a Bible study and everyone's having a great time. And later that night, you're like, you know, sipping a drink as you're talking to this cute boy or girl that you're like, oh, man, this is so great. I can't I can totally see us together. And you make the, the move. You know, would you ever be willing to, you know, hang on after Bible study for a little bit? Huge move. Yeah. Huge move. Especially because it's over text. And they're like, (laughs) totally. And you're like, oh my goodness. Now imagine going home from that conversation and then you text them 600 times overnight to say, did I push you on the spot? Did I make this too weird? (laughs) Did I go? And often this is the the ladies that Mm -hmm. that do this, but you overthink it and you start pushing, 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 pushing. And then it ends up not working out. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Well, maybe the 600 text message you sent scared him away. It could be, yeah. Yeah. So imagine if Ruth gets up, you know, she uncovers his feet, which is a thing, and she's laying at his feet, and Boaz is startled. Hey, what's going on? Oh, there's a woman here. What happened? You know, what's going on? And she goes, ah, you're a redeemer. And he goes, I know. I'm going to go take care of it. So in the morning, she goes back, and she's talking to Naomi, and then she's like, was last night okay? Did I put you on the spot? Was it too weird? I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Are you nervous? I can't hear from you. What's going on? Like. Praise the Lord, they didn't have text messaging at that time. It's true. But, but you, we get so insecure. And instead of doing what what Naomi's saying, which I think is a great advice from from what you're pointing out, and it's super applicable to today, just, just wait till the see how the matter plays out. Let's not push this any further. 
the Lord's in charge. We're going to let him run the show. Yeah. And I think on the other side of that too is yes, as women, we are so much in our heads and the bummer with text messages. Sometimes we end up putting all of those thoughts in text messages, which sometimes those thoughts just need to stay in, not sent out, but also it's super helpful if a guy is just straightforward with what he is going to do. So like Boaz is very upfront and he's like, I'm going to go do this. And then he goes and does that thing. Whereas a lot of times I feel like as women, we're left with like, all right, bye. And like, that's it. And then it's like, oh, well, when are we going to talk next? When are we going to see each other? Like we're left basically in limbo and that does not help our already overactive minds. So then the texts start. So what would really help us is if guys were just like, I'll call you tomorrow or we'll set up like a whatever. It was just very upfront with what yep. was going to be intended. Um, yeah. I just feel like that would, that would help our minds immensely. And on both sides of the story, we see that happening. Mm-hmm. Ruth puts her hope in, in God and she lets God handle the matter. Yeah. Boaz says, I'm going to take care of this. And he goes and takes care of it. Mm-hmm. Both individuals, and it goes back to the upstanding thing. They, they actually do what they say they're going to do. It's There's another, no games. It's another reason why I think this is a story yeah. that's supposed to be read and go, oh, this is pretty cool. Look how God's working. Because, yeah, she didn't go there that night and was just like, I don't know. I just stumbled here. I don't know what happened. How did I get here? Like, she also wasn't wishy-washy either. She was very, this is what I would like you to do. Do you like my hibiscus perfume? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> And then he was also very upfront too. And I think what ends up happening in our yeah. cultures, we're like, oh, d- yeah. I need, I can't text right away because they're going to think blah, blah, blah. Or I can't just stop playing the games and just right. be upfront with each other. So. And I think uncovering one's feet is just about as upfront as one can be. <laughs> Don't do that. That is not a good idea in this society. Do not. That does have a connotation that in our is, society that should not be yeah. followed. <laughs> if you get anything out of this, do not uncover Truly uncover someone's feet. So sometimes you got to move and then wait and see how the Lord turns it out. However, never uncover someone's feet in this culture Mm -hmm. until you're married. (laughs) All right. That's a good way to end. Let's get practical. (laughs) All right. Do you believe in love and love? Right? Know how the song's supposed to go? Yeah. Now, here we go. Here's the other other version. I was like, what? Do you believe in Enneagram? That's so good. It was good. Little well sh- done. We'll share for you. I liked it. Yeah, I'm trying to be a little more Easter eggy with those oh, songs. You know, a little foreigner for the foreigner. A little, uh, you know, yeah. get cleaned up and put some perfume on after life hasn't gone well. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in it? I believe in it. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can you tell that we've done this <laughs> three times? We've done this three times. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I just want to, so we're not going to talk about specific people in our Enneagram segment today because we've already talked about Ruth and Boaz and how we believe that they are healthy twos because they are super giving and helpful, but they are also okay with, with getting help as well. But what I want to remind us is with any of these tools, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, DISC, what animal are you, whatever those things are, any of those personality tests, those tools 
They are merely that. They are tools. And they do help us better understand ourselves, but they are only a tool. They are not the gospel. And the gospel is what is essential for change. Mm -hmm. Nothing else is going to do that, but they do help us understand. And I think that God is using those tools to help us understand a little bit more about ourselves. But it is not the be all end all of life. It is not it is not the gospel. It is not what is actually going to change you or save you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I think that's that needs to be said because I think some people could read into what we're doing here and be like, okay, so they're saying Enneagram is the thing that changes us. No, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that changes you. And your understanding of the gospel is incredibly helpful in that. However, things like personality profiles can be helpful because they highlight things for us that we maybe knew about ourselves, but we didn't quite know about ourselves. And it allows the Holy Spirit to actually partner with us in a new and fresh way. Mm-hmm. So if an individual is just kind of a jerk and they ramrod everybody and they run the staff meeting, it might be helpful to know that that person is considered type A or they are a high D. And once you know those things about yourself, you might go, oh, this is the downside of my personality. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, why don't you help me change this part of me? Not so that I'm less of myself, but that I'm the best version of myself that you can actually use God and do amazing things through me. That's yeah. awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, because it is really our responsibility to make sure that not only for ourselves, but for those around us, that we're better people and that we're on a path to becoming better. And I think, at least for me, Enneagram has really helped me to become better and to just understand things within myself. So, But I really do think that you have a responsibility to not only yourself, but to people around you to be better for them so spoken like a true wing seven mm-hmm. i don't even know what that means i know you don't i just like saying things <laughs> all right so to close this one up the yam spot this week our final piece our final segment and we're using the yam spot to kind of just remind you of things that we think are important especially if you're running a college ministry or young adult ministry and and here it is uh you see it already in this story and i i will point this out all throughout scripture. You know, I would do it until the day I die. I don't know why, but God desires partnership. If I have friends in the very reformed tradition who would say humans are completely worthless, and I don't disagree. Humans are trash. We are terrible. We, I look at how bad we are and I go, I don't know why God would ever want us. Mm-hmm. But the fact that God wants to partner with us We see this with Moses. We see this with Adam and Eve. We see this with David. We see this uh, with the disciples. Like, why does Jesus have 12 disciples if he doesn't want to partner with humanity? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I go down that whole list here, but God desires partnership. And for whatever reason, he wants partnership with human beings. So what that means is we can't sit and just wait for the person to just show up. It means we've got to jump in with God and let him work with us and use us to serve his purposes. If Ruth had just stayed at home eating ice cream and mourning for her entire life, she would have never met Boaz. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can go down the list of all the things here that God is working, but God is working with people who are seeking what God wants to do. So the big question for young adults and college students is, are you actually partnering with him? Or are you just sitting back like going, oh, this way we're going to do the thing. God, God is going to do all kinds of things. The big question is, are you going to join him in that thing? Or are you going to sit on the sidelines and wait for him to, to like nudge you across the sideline? 
there's a really good chance that God is, is partnering with you already. You just don't see it. So mm-hmm. jump in, partner with him, find out what he wants you to do. So the way that I do that is I just, I spend most of my days asking God, how do you want to use me today? Let your spirit lead me and guide me. Because as I partner with you, as I let your spirit lead me, I'm going to do things that you want me to do, which is going to serve your purposes and it's going to lead people to your kingdom. Not that I'm good, not that I'm capable. In fact, the fact that you asked me to do anything, God, is ridiculous to me. I know who I am and I'm, I, I, you don't, I don't deserve you and you can do way better than me. But the fact that you're choosing to partner with me, I'm open. I want you to do what you want to do with me and in me and through me. So that's kind of the, the closing thought, the big idea, anything you would add to that? Yeah. I, I mean, when we, and I feel like this is so true that we wait, we're waiting for God to do something and it's like, he already has, he's already done so much. So I think we need to stop waiting and we, as you, as you kind of said, like we need to start doing, but also just look back and see all what he already has done and that we don't actually deserve any of it. We don't like, he doesn't owe us anything. Cause I think a lot of that, a lot of it is we want to see that. So then we know that he's there and that he's real. He doesn't need to do any of that, you know, and it already, he already has, that's the thing. Like he already has done all of this stuff. Are you going to believe or are you not going to believe, you know? Mm-hmm. And then once you make that decision, then yes, you need to move forward and start to actually partner, which means whatever you're getting from God, you should be giving to somebody else. A partnership, if you're a part, if you're partnering with somebody else, like that means that you're like the go-between, you're kind of like the messenger, if you will. And so are you actually being that as well? Like being an actual partner and being a messenger or is it stopping with you and not actually continuing out to anyone else? And figure out, I mean, as you said, very practically, just day to day of what do you want me to do today? I mean, it's also understanding what God has gifted you with and the talents and using those for what his kingdom and for furthering his kingdom. So whatever those talents and things are, figure those out and start using them, seeing where you can use them. And that's another way you can partner. So. Absolutely. That's a good word. All right, Ruth three, three times. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Please save this one. Because <laughs> if not, we're not coming back to Ruth three. <laughs> it's done. There will be a gaping hole in season two. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the app store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the yamcast. Here I go again on my own with Erica. <laughs> Going down this road again for the third time. I wish I could say that I didn't know this road, but I do because I've seen it twice already. <laughs> I hope I put the emphasis on the right syllable this entire episode, but we'll see. Because I just said Alzheimer's. I, 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 I caught that. <laughs> Alzheimer's. Very German. <laughs>
<laughs> Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh, it did. Uh, and we just created the outro for that time, I bet. Based on James's face. <laughs>